Good morning. It is good to be back. Uh, we had a great time away as a family. Some of y'all didn't know we were on vacation and um, appreciate that time. Just being able to get away with the family and didn't uh, spend time with the kiddos and the wife and folks on that. And, and I'm thankful for Jason uh, filling in the last couple of weeks. And uh, I don't know whether you knew it or not, but you actually set up what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks perfectly. Yes. A plus. <laughs> uh, if you weren't here last couple of weeks when Jason uh, brought the message, you can check it on the church's podcast. You can go to the church website and find a link to that um, if you don't have iTunes, but you can still listen to it. And uh, what Jason hit on, because I did listen, um, Jason hit on is basically two types of churches. Um, and he spent time in Revelation in the book of Acts in the church of complacency or the church of community the church of apathy or the church of action. And it ultimately comes down to a question that we have to ask ourselves as a part of Harvest Hill and ourselves as God's people, what kind of church are we going to be? What kind of people, God's people, are we going to be? Are we going to be people of action or apathy? Are we going to be people of community and compassion or complacency? You know, several months ago, uh, almost a year exactly uh, we pulled into the parking lot of Harvest Hill for the very first time on a Sunday morning, uh, and Abby sat, sits behind me in our car, and we backed in to the church van. It's sitting out there in the parking lot, and it says Harvest Hill, and underneath that it says, Love God, Love People. And I know I've shared this before, but as Abby was at that time uh, six, read that, she said, That's right. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Love God, love people. And it was, it was so simple. It was so pure coming from her. And it's such a true statement as it captures the two greatest commandments that Jesus gives us, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. We are to love people as we love ourselves. And the Bible tells us that all the law and the prophets hang on or are driven by these two things. You know, this is what our life is supposed to be known as. This is what the church, Harvest Hill, is supposed to be known as. This is what is supposed to be directing our family. And so I'm excited to start this series. As you can see behind me, uh, the series is called The Heartbeat of Harvest Hill. Back in uh, August, I guess, uh, we met with the pastor search committee for the first time at a wonderful restaurant uh, that will remain nameless. But it really set up the situation where Jamie and I could get a feeling, okay, this is going to be different, and you all have, have not let us down. Um, completely different. Um, this is going to be different. This is going to be unique. And we began to get excited and began praying about that. And it's began getting to know Harvest Hill. And Jamie is my, my researcher. She, if you think you've hit it on the internet, she'll find it. Um, and so she, I said, you need to find out stuff about Harvest Hill you, that you can find out and, and let me know. And we'll be praying about it. And so she was telling me all these things she was finding and, and showing me stuff on the internet and, 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 and showing me what things that you all as a church have been doing and, and, and the direction maybe God is going to be taking you. And it was in that moment that we started feeling God was leading us in this direction that I started praying, okay, God, if this is where you want me to be as, as the pastor of Harvest Hill, if this is where you're bringing, you know, the Hurchin family together and the Harvest Hill family together, then I need to know what that looks like. And so I started praying right then. And I've been praying for over a year now for what we're going to unravel here the next four weeks. Okay, this is something that... If, it's so important to me because it's something I've been asking God to give me. and I've been waiting and praying and listening. And this is going to set the direction of everything we do as a church. This is going to set the direction of questions that come and say, okay, should we do this ministry? Should we do this outreach? Should we have this gathering? This is going to set the tone for that because it's going to help us identify what in the world love God, love people is supposed to look like in the heart and life of Harvest Hill, in our family's lives and in our individual lives. Because it's such a simple statement, but what does that look like? How are we supposed to do that? Uh, what, is, what is that going to look like in, in, in acts of, of, in the community of Stratford? And our time here in Stratford, <clears throat> which is getting, again, it's close to a year. We, we arrived here in November 2016. And our time in Stratford has been a time of getting to know you. And I hope you have been 
getting to know us. I hope we have been allowing that to happen. We're, we, we're really excited. This, we have, we've told everyone we've encountered, this has been the, the easiest transition we've ever had in the ministry. As a church, it seemed to have adapted us and welcomed us in and just been very warming and friendly and just been open. And so we've enjoyed the relationships we've been able to, to build, and we look forward to building those more. And one thing I've noticed about Harvest Hill is Harvest Hill loves getting together. We love getting together in fellowship. We love talking. And you can see that because some of y'all are going to leave here pretty quick when I say amen or when Jackson says amen, we'll see you next Sunday. Some of y'all are going to skiddy on out and and beat the Methodists to the restaurant. But some of y'all just hang out to the point that our security team is like, man, I'm hungry. (laughs) But it's, it's a beautiful image. Because there are some churches, once the preacher says amen, once the worship leader says amen, the parking lot is empty in like five seconds. But to see that community happens not on Sunday nights and happens on our small group gatherings, it happens on Wednesday nights. It's just a beautiful picture of that community. that We, we enjoy being together. Not anybody in this room is perfect, and we don't always get along. We're a family. Does your family always get along? No. But we're a community, we love each other, and we work our way through it. Another thing I've been doing is not only praying and waiting for God for this particular Sunday and for the next couple Sundays to unravel this, has been getting to know the Stratford community. And correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of the Stratford community is the Stratford community really focuses around the school. Um, just seeing people who don't have kids, who just maybe have a neighbor who has a kid, going out and supporting them, and whatever that is, from sports to dramas to band to choir to speech tournaments to uh, what's that thing Gabe was involved in where they're building gadgets, robotics, just doing those sort of things, cheerleading, um, graduation, graduation ceremonies, baccalaureate, just being involved in the kids, being involved in the school. And, I, and I've seen the school of Stratford just being a hubbub, whether you have a kindergarten or a preschooler, whether you have a graduate on uh, this year. And mothers can wipe your tears now, but it's coming. I mean, but I've just seen people continue to gather around together and want to be together in the community of Stratford. And it seems like, for the most part, I know it's not all 100%, but it seems like people in Stratford like each other, um, which is nice. Um, And I know there's the gossips and the things like that, but what I want us to look at is how do we take that, the community of Stratford and, and the gatherings, whether it's at school, whether it's at the coffee shop, whether it's at the diners or the restaurants or the gas stations or the grocery stores or the truck stops, how do we take that and apply love God, love people to that. If that's what we really are as Harvest Hill, we are people who are going to love God, love people. How do we incorporate that into the community? The last thing we can be as a church is a complacent church or an apathetic church who just kind of keeps to ourselves. If we do that, we will die. We must be a church of action, a church that loves its community. So here's, here's, here's what we're going to do. Jackson was worried about this, but I said, good job, Jackson. He's not in here. Good job, Jackson. You got it, Bree? Good. All right. What does this look like underneath? It looks a heartbeat. That's why it's the heartbeat of Harvest Hill. But what this also is, if you look even closer, what letter does each color look like? An M. So for the next four weeks, we're going to look at four principles that begin with the letter M. And it's going to, the process of this is this is where we all begin or have begun, and this is where we want everybody to be as a part of Harvest Hill and as a Christian. It begins this morning by we need to meet people where they are so they can meet Jesus. We need to meet people where they are so they can meet Jesus. The second M is we need to mature in our relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. It is what the Bible calls discipleship. The third M is that we need to mobilize through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is, is to be uh, missional. It is to go out and, and, to, and, 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 and to, to, to reach people for the kingdom of God. And finally, sorry, that is the mission for the kingdom of God. The final M is to mobilize for the kingdom of God. Um, so other people can again get back to the original heartbeat where they can meet Jesus. And so this morning we're going to spend our time with that first M 
to meet people where they are so they can meet Jesus. I want you to say the word meet. That's going to be our key word. You're going to hear this phrase about a billion times this morning. We're going to meet people where they are so they can meet Jesus. That is going to be our driving point of loving God and loving people, that we meet people where they are so they can what? We're going to people where they are so they can? Hey, you already got it. Good. There was a time in America where you could take a field of dreams type of approach when it came to church. You could build a church, and if you build it, they will come. Sometime within the latter 60s, early 70s, the transition in America started to change, where people weren't necessarily running to churches, um, but they were running to other activities. Um, Whether you want to call it the hippie movement, whether you want to call it something else, but it emerged that people began to become resistant to the church. They began to become resistant to God. They began to think that, man, I'm not even sure with my past and the things I've been involved in in life if I can even go to church. Because of this, this is an obstacle we face in 2017. Because of this obstacle, we have to get back to the biblical approach that Jesus gives us in the Bible and the biblical approach we see throughout the book of, the, uh, the book of Acts. And what the first church did is that they were intentional about engaging the culture. They did not wait for the culture or the people to come to them, but instead, you know what they did? They met people where they were so they could who? Meet Jesus. And so as we look at this, um, we are already doing part of this. How many of you here this year, school year is just around the corner, starts on Thursday, tomorrow for you teachers, sorry teachers, but Thursday morning we kick our kids out and say, go, you know. All right, so how many this year, this school year, you're going to be involved at least one school function this year, at least one? from a football game, volleyball game, to sports, to dramas, to graduations, baccalaureates, uh, band, choir, uh, parent-teacher conferences, uh, carnivals. How many are going to be involved? At least one. At least one. I'll probably at least go to a basketball game. Just look around. Keep your hands up. Look around you. We are all ready in the places where people gather. We are already in the places where people are meeting. And now what we have to do is we have to take the biblical approach that Jesus gives us and the book of Acts gives us is that we have to be intentional when we are in those places and in those gatherings, in those functions, that we are meeting those people, but we are meeting them with the intention that they can meet Jesus through us. That they can see Jesus living in us and living out of us. That they can see the love of God coming through us. But the goal is we have to be intentional. To see how this plays out in the Bible, if you go to the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, who were the first people that Jesus called to follow him? What was their occupation? They were fishermen. And where did Jesus call fishermen? Where did he meet them at? On the water. That's a good place to meet fishermen in it. That's a good place to call fishermen to become fishers of men. If you read throughout the Gospels, you see Jesus, when he does his teachings, when he does his miracles, when he does these things that just draw people to him, you know where he does them mostly? In towns, in synagogues, in in the temple, in places where people are already gathering. Jesus came so they could meet him and they could come to know how much God loves them. It wasn't just a physical destination, but Jesus met them so he could get them to a spiritual place. And not everybody who met Jesus got to that spiritual place. There are many of the Gospels tell us that walked away. They they left Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with what he was calling them to do. But that's not our call. Our call isn't how people respond to the message that we deliver or respond to the message we represent. Our, Our goal and our job is simply to deliver it. That when we are in the gatherings of people that God loves, that we meet them with the idea we want this person to meet Jesus. Because without Jesus, they are lost and they are eternally condemned to a place the Bible calls hell. Fortunately, the church has done this over the years in many weird ways. There's a shift, again, in church culture where, and some churches still believe this, They believe that if they tell people when they're meeting, that lost people will simply show up. That's not happening anymore. 
What, what people are, are being involved in church is because there's people they know, there's people they trust, there's relationships they've built or are building, and that individual has gone out of their way and said, hey, I would love to have you come to church with me. Or that individual just goes ahead and says, hey, I, I want to tell you about this faith in Jesus Christ that I have. Churches aren't able to open their doors and lost people are coming in anymore. And some of the messages that churches are putting out there aren't, aren't allowing people to meet Jesus, but are rather pushing people away from Jesus. For example, as we were driving home uh, from vacation, we were coming up Highway 63 North, and, and that's a wonderful highway. I found a new pet peeve I have in driving on highways like that. That's a highway that goes from two lanes to three lanes and back and forth. You ever been on one of those? You ever gone up to the lake? past Lebanon, you've been on one of these, and my pet peeve that just, oh man, Jesus, do something now, is when someone, you got two lanes, and someone's driving 55 when the speed limit is obviously 65, and then when you hit that two lane where you can pass, they gun it to 70. Oh, bring down the fires of heaven, Lord. I mean, I just, it, it, it pees. It's a, I'm a joy to ride in the car when that is happening. And that was going on in 63, and what broke up the commotion is we're coming up into northern Arkansas on Highway 63, and we come into this, this town of about 600-plus people, and there must have been seven or eight churches in this town of 600-plus people. But on the main strip on Highway 63, there were two churches, Catacorner, and they both had church signs right on Highway 63, which is a heavily traveled highway. And so one sign read, Fish Fry, this Sunday, everyone welcome. And then as I looked across the road to the other side, this one said, liars are an abomination to the Lord. And I looked at Jamie and I said, I know where I would go on Sunday. <laughs> and we both almost in unison were like, fish fry, fish fry, fish fry. I mean, it, because it, it's not about whether you're for church signs or not. The point is this, what message are we as individuals, we as a church presenting to a world so they can meet Jesus? Are we putting things out there where we almost condemn the entire community? Because who in here has never lied? I feel sorry for that congregation that showed up on Sunday. So I'm, I'm an abomination. What message are we presenting? I'm not saying that's not a truth in the Bible. But is that really going to draw people to God? Is that really going to draw people to Jesus? Do you look in Scripture and see Jesus dealing with lost people in that manner? Now, he dealt with the religious elite in that way, but never the tax collectors, never the prostitutes, never the outcasts, the lepers. What did he do? He put himself on their level. He humbled himself. Though he was God in the flesh, he humbled himself so they could meet him so they could know how much God loves them. Why is this important? We live in a time where the majority of the world's population is unsaved. And here's something that blew me away when I read this. We as Americans live in the fourth largest unchurched nation in the world. Don't you find that odd that our slogan is one nation under God and we're the fourth largest unchurched nation in the world? Let me say this. It's not because of a lack of churches. It's because the church has had a lack of engagement in the culture to which God has planted them. We're not getting beyond the walls. I want you to turn to the book of Acts. I want us to see how this plays out. Book of Acts in chapter 17. <clears throat> the book of Acts is the continuation of the gospel. It's almost like Luke's second volume where the gospel of Luke tells about the story of Jesus. The book of Acts tells us what the men and women, the followers, the believers did with that story of Jesus. 
It talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It talks about the church beginning, the expansion of Christianity. It talks about the persecution in Christianity, the martyrs who died for the faith. It talks about the Apostle Paul. Matter of fact, without the book of Acts, we wouldn't understand the remainder or the the bulk of the New Testament because we wonder, who is this Paul guy? The book of Acts gives us this bridge book where we understand Saul's conversion and he becomes known as Paul instead of Saul and how he went to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And what we see in the book of Acts, and we see God's people were consistently engaging the culture to which God planted them. They were not hiding behind the walls of the church expecting people to come to them, but instead they were taking the gospel message to meet people where they were so they could meet who? Jesus. And so in the book of Acts in chapter 17, We're going to begin in verse 16, and this this recording deals with Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's on one of his missionary journeys, and he's arrived into the city of Athens. And as he comes into the city of Athens, look there in verse 16, it says, "While, while Paul was waiting for them. Who's them? Well, them is Timothy and Silas, who are also on this missionary journey. And if you really need that, that background, you can go back to verse 10 and read on until you come to verse uh, 16 here. But while while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. We know for a fact this is the very first time Paul has come to the city. Athens is recorded as being one of the most beautiful cities in all of Rome and all of Greece. It was a city of culture. It was a city of knowledge and art and sciences and philosophies and polytheism. Polytheism is is the worship of many gods. It is from this city where philosophers like Aristotle and Plato came from, as well as other individuals who heavily impacted Greece and the Roman Empire, which, by the way, impacts the American culture today. It is from this city where Paul comes into, in the city of strong tourism, where people will just come and just marvel at its beauty, that Paul does not come in awe of Athens, but the Bible says in verse 16, he comes and he is deeply distressed. The English Standard Version says that Paul's spirit was provoked within him. The meaning there of deeply distressed or being provoked is Paul, he looked at this beautiful city. No, no, no doubt it was beautiful, but instead of seeing the beauty, he saw a city that was a city of sewage, of spirituality. He became deeply distressed. It implied that Paul within him began to get angry. He was spiritually irritated. He was spiritually angered with the idolatry that was right before him. And where others were captivated by the beauty, Paul became exasperated because it was a city of idols. Paul saw a city where its sole purpose was to lead people away from the presence and the glory and the love of God. And so what does Paul do? What would you do? If you stepped into a certain situation where everyone around you was acting in an ungodly manner, where everyone around you were seeking ungodly things and were blaspheming the name of the Lord. They were using God's name in vain as if it was some other name that they could just speak out so, just so loosely. What would you do in that situation? I think the majority of believers, when we find ourselves in that situation, what we try to do is we pull back. We clam up. We become quiet. We don't want to do anything that's going to bring too much attention to ourselves and it's going to put ourselves in a spot, maybe make us the outcast in that situation. And this is why we find ourselves in the fourth largest unchurched, non-believing country in the world. It's because the church and God's people, instead of engaging, has pulled back in fear. I just don't understand those youth today. I just don't understand those young people today. I just just don't get why they do what they do. And so what we do is we pull back. But what we see here with Paul is Paul chose to engage. Verse 17 says, So he, being Paul, he went and reasoned in the synagogue. And this was Paul's custom. Every city he would go to, he would first find a place where the Jewish people would go and gather and would worship God and hear the word of the God read to them. And so Paul would first go to the synagogue and he would engage the people who should know God. 
See, what we learn here is we have to be a place where we are convicted to do something about the current situation to which God has placed us in. God brought Paul to Athens. And Paul saw a sewage of spirituality, and I don't want to break your hearts, but some of you already know this. America is a sewage of spirituality. I love America. Don't, don't hear me wrong on that. I'm, I'm so thankful that God has allowed me to be born in this country, to live in this country, to be able to have this place where we can speak freely and worship God freely. But if you look out at our culture, you find people are chasing after sports and celebrities and money and self-promotions and sex and other religions. There are places in Michigan where you cannot find a church, but you can find a temple. Because we have lost our focus. And instead of engaging, we've pulled back in fear. What Paul does is he sees this city and he understands that these people are lost. See, these people are seeking after something. They're seeking after meaning. They're seeking after hope. They're seeking after something to give them fulfillment. They're just looking for it in all the wrong places. These people are lost. And as Paul stands on the cuffs of Athens and he looks out, he understands that, yes, God can use anybody and God can bring someone else to this city, but God brought him here at this particular moment. And if he pulls back, if he walks away, he is condemning the city to hell. The same thing can be said about us here in America in 2017. If we look out of our culture and we shake our heads like, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. Oh, my goodness, they're such sinners. And if that's all we do, but we do not engage, we are condemning them to hell. And God has placed you at Harvest Hill today. God has placed you in Stratford in 2017. He has placed me as a pastor's church that we engage this community because without Jesus Christ, that is in fact where they're going. They're going to hell, but people, everyone you know, whether they go to church or not, whether they believe or not, they're seeking just like the people of Athens. They're seeking for hope. They're seeking for some sort of fulfillment. They're seeking for love and acceptance. They're seeking for someone to to treat them like a human being. They're seeking for meaning and purpose. The Athenians were just so lost because the only thing they had ever heard was about all these false gods All these idols, all these philosophies, all these teachings, all these science that just led them away from God. And no one took the time to come in and say, look, there is a God and he loves you. But if you notice, Paul, jump in verse 17, he goes to the synagogue. But at the end of verse 17, he says he also went to the marketplace every day. He didn't just go where the Jews were, but he went to the marketplace. This is where the tourists were. This is where the people of Athens were. This is where the people gathered. This is our school. This is our coffee house. This is our diners. This is our gas stations and our our grocery store. This is where the people are gathering. And Paul goes to engage that place. He understands that if we only preach Jesus in the church, then the the community will never hear it. And so we as God's people who are commissioned by God to go and engage the community have to step out and we have to take the gospel to the community. God brings people into my life and your life so that they can meet Jesus through us. That is the purpose. It's not because we're cool or we're good looking. It's people are drawn to you because the Holy Spirit that's inside of you and the the Savior that you proclaim, they're drawn to you because of that. God is drawing them to you so they can meet Jesus through you. So when you sit down at a game this next year or some other event and someone sits by you, you don't even know, or just right in front of you, God has placed them there in that moment so they can meet Jesus through you. We've got to start seeing and changing our perspective that we have a mission and we have a goal. What's in the marketplace here? Verse 18, where Paul draws the attention of two prominent groups. It says some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. And some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? The Epicureans and the Stoics, they have uh, two different types of philosophies in trying to define life. And what we can know from the book of Acts and Paul's writing is Paul is defining life through the lens of God. 
that God is holy. God created all. God has given us a law. He has, he has given us a, a purpose. He has given us meaning. He has given us direction. We fall short of that law, but because God is for us and he loves us, he sent his son Jesus to die for us because we cannot fulfill the law, but Jesus, he fulfilled all the law and all the prophecies. And if we believe in him and we believe in his resurrection, we will be saved because God loves us. And all this points that there is meaning in life. We hear the Epicureans and the Stoics, they basically believe that ultimate truth cannot be discovered. And that, therefore, one must be a skeptic of all things pertaining to truth. So we as people must live with the life of purpose of the here and now. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had two weeks off. <laughs> The Epicureans held to the philosophy that truth is found in the achieving of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. It basically means if it feels good, do it. I think a lot of people live by that. It's fun to me. It doesn't bother you. Why should you care? If it feels good, do it. The Stoics, on the other hand, held a view that no man had the power to control his own life the only thing we can control is how we respond to the situations we find ourselves in. It's grounded on the idea of, you know, what will be, will be. And there's some philosophies that both sought to define the purpose of life. As these two men are drawn, or these two groups are drawn to Paul, <clears throat> and they hear of him speaking about God who gives purpose, how it's not about self but it's about God, how it's not about self-pleasure, but about bringing glory to God. Their response there at the end of verse 18 is, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? See, Paul's message was not about presenting pleasures, but about eternal, eternal ramifications. It wasn't just about the here and now, but about the eternal to come. It was focused on God. And because Paul engaged the community, because Paul went to meet people where they were. Even though these people didn't like what he had to say, they were interested enough to invite him to what is known as the Areopagus. Verse 19. It's also known as Mars Hill, another translation. This is basically a temple mount <clears throat> that was dedicated to the Greek god Eris. It was the Roman god counterpart to Mars or the god of war. Hence, Mars Hill. It's at this location where people would go to dispute and debate, and sometimes hold trial. In our day and age, it would be a place where all the old men gather to talk about politics, sports, and the weather. And at this place, Paul is invited to debate, to talk about this, this God that he is proclaiming within the streets of Athens. How did he get invited there? Because Paul did not enclose himself in the walls of the church. And if you look, when they invite Paul, hey, can you tell us more about this God you speak of? You know what Paul doesn't do? Well, you should come to church with me on Sunday. you hear all about then. What does Paul do? He goes to where they're comfortable. He goes to where they gather. And he speaks the language they can understand. In his, in his approach, if you look there in verse 22... Paul begins his, his opening. He stood in the middle of the Areopagus. And he said, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. He almost gives them a compliment. If we go back to verse 16, Paul is deeply distressed. He's spiritually irritated. He's spiritually angry. But now when he comes and he stands before the people, he says, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't say, you've lost your mind. He doesn't open up and say, people of Athens, if you don't get your act together, you're going to hell. He doesn't pull out a Donald Trump and say, wrong, you're wrong. He doesn't do that. He meets them on their level and says, I see you are extremely religious. Now, Paul knew the truth. Romans chapter 1, verse 19 through 20, Paul wrote that since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. 
for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made as a result, people are without excuse. Paul knew that truth. But in his spirit that led him, he met these people where they were. And if you look at what he starts talking about back there in, in chapter 17, he says, as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship. Basically, as I was walking around town, just kind of taking this community in, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of the heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands, verse 25. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath in all things. That's purpose and meaning right there, isn't it? From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth. And it's determined that there are appointed times and their boundaries of where they live. Well, that's, that's not so much as live for this moment. That means there's been a plan since the beginning. He goes on in verse 27, He did this so that they, being all people, might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move, and we have our being. And even as some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. And since we are God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art or imagination. Verse 30, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. And he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Who is that him? Jesus. You see what Paul does here? He engages a culture that is going any way but towards God. He meets them on their turf. When they want to learn more, he doesn't say, come to church with me or come to Bible study with me. Where does he do? He goes where they're comfortable. And when he goes there, he doesn't belittle God. He doesn't speak of anything else, but God is holy. God has created all. God knows all. He has a plan for you. He wants to redeem you, and salvation is through him alone, through the one that he sent, who is Jesus Christ. He met people where they were so they could meet Jesus. And many commentators say that when Paul was here, this is the worst evangelistic effort Paul ever had in all of his missionary journeys. Matter of fact, look in verse 32, says, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him, but others said, We'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Europagite, and the woman named Damaris, and others with them. Some say it is in Athens where Paul presented the gospel. He met people where they were, and he did not see the response he hoped to see. Matter of fact, Paul does not call Athens the first fruit of the gospel. He calls Corinth. He says Corinth from Achaia, who's in the same province as Athens, is the first fruit of the gospel because it's in Corinth where Paul sees people responding to the message of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, he writes to the believers in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Get there. Verse 3 says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. See, when Paul comes to Athens after he leaves, or comes to Corinth after he leaves Athens, he's beaten down spiritually. He's in the dumps. He didn't see the, the outpouring of the Spirit. He didn't see believers come to the faith and the Holy Spirit dropping the way he was wanting to see it, the way he'd seen it in the past. But it did not stop Paul from meeting people where they were so they could meet Jesus. Unfortunately, there's so many Christians that try to present the gospel and people said, I want nothing to do with that you know what happens they get silenced and they never share it again they get scared what if that happens again what if I say the wrong thing what if they ask me something I don't know how many of you ever had that thought 
Paul comes to Corinth and he's beaten down. He's in fear and he's trembling. He's, he's tired. He's spiritually worn out. He doesn't understand why these people did not accept Jesus Christ, but he keeps moving on. And here's the flip that we got to have. Here it is right here. Successful evangelism does not mean conversions. Hear that again. Successful evangelism does not mean conversions. But so many people feel that if I present the gospel, the individual should accept Jesus Christ right then and right there. But that is not the definition of evangelism. To be evangelistic is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It is not upon you or me how people respond. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So successful evangelism is not a matter of conversion. Successful evangelism is a matter of obedience. That I'm going to go, therefore, to all the nations. That go, therefore, in Matthew 28, is implied as you are going, meaning Jesus saying, as you're doing this, God has placed before us incredible opportunity. Incredible opportunity. We live in the Bible Belt. But there are lost people in the Bible Belt. And there are lost people that God's going to sit right by you. And you're going to look at them like, why didn't they sit over there? There's an extra. He's going to put people right by you. He's going to put people right in your face for the tension and for the purpose that they get to meet Jesus through you. And if we can churn that perspective that God is sending me out into this world so that people can meet Jesus through me, and it's not a matter whether they accept it, it's not a matter whether they, they, they believe, it's just a matter of me presenting the gospel message. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's that simple. God loves you. How many of y'all grew up hearing the song, Jesus Loves Me? It's that simple. God loves you. And everything you're searching after to find fulfillment and meaning and love and acceptance, that's what God has for you. That's the gift of Jesus Christ. And it's by faith in Christ alone the way which you may be saved. So as we prepare for football season, praying for your coach, volleyball season, cross country, band, choir, school, Thursday, amen. Um, if, as we prepare for Wednesday Night Lives in September, as we prepare for trunk or treat and Thanksgiving services and Christmas and Fofty, as we prepare for all these, we prepare with the intention that God is sending us out to meet people where they are so they can meet Jesus. And if we have any other purpose, we need to stop doing it right now. If it's not bringing God glory, it needs to stop right now. Brothers and sisters, Christ, I know it scares you. And I know I've gone a few minutes long. Let's all do this. God has already put you in your mission field. You are already in your mission field. You have already developed relationships, are right now developing relationships, or there are relationships that are going to begin very soon that God is putting you in as your mission field <coughs> for the purpose that you meet those people where they are. Don't belittle them. Jesus looked at the crowd and he had compassion. We need to see people through the lens of grace. Timothy told, or Paul told Timothy as he led a church that he is the worst of sinners. Understanding it's not by anything we did, it's all that what God did for us. And so we look at people that these people are lost, just as I once was lost. And they need to understand and come to know the love of God and the grace of God. And God has brought these people in my life. He is entrusting me with these people and their eternal security so that I would meet them where they are. Yeah, they may do things you don't like. 
things you don't approve of, but you just meet them where they are so they can meet Jesus through you. That's where we start. And all of us here this morning who have accepted Jesus Christ and Lord Savior, that's exactly where you started. Someone took an interest in your life. It may have been a parent that drug you to church every Sunday, but they did it so you would meet Jesus. It may have been a neighbor who came and just told you about Jesus or invited you to come to church. You may have been in youth or a student or a kid and someone said, hey, you should come to our church. We're having vacation Bible school. Or we're having this event or we're going to this conference, this camp, and it's awesome. You should come. And, and God brought that person so you could meet Jesus. And there are people in your life right now. You may be here because there's someone like you're interested in dating. I've seen this numerous of times. You're interested in dating, so you're here because you knew they would be here. Stalker. But you're here. And, and, and be, but you think that's why you're here, but you're actually here because God has drawn you to this place so you can meet Jesus. You may be here because someone invited you to come to church. Your parents forced you to come here. But the reality is, is God has brought you to this place so you can meet Jesus. And all of us have those individuals or individual who did that in our life. And now it's time to us to reciprocate. So I don't know why you're here. I praise God you are. I praise God for the rain right now. He shut it off just for a second because this is an important time. I don't know why you're here. But here's the reality. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, God has commissioned you to take the message. But if you're here and you've yet to, this is what you need to know. God has created you unique. And he's created you to be in a relationship with him. And the issue every human being has when we're born is we have sin in our life. Sin is the thing where we miss God's holiness, his perfection, and we can't work for it. We can't earn it on our own. And because we miss it, that sin is separating us from the love of the Father. And unless that sin is dealt with, we will be eternally separated. And like I said, we can't work for it. We can't be good enough. You can't go to church enough to, to, to bridge that gap. But because God loves you and he is for you, he has a purpose for you, he knows your life, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you and for me that we could be saved by the grace of God, simply by believing that God loves me that much, that Jesus stood on a cross and he took God's wrath, my sin upon himself, that he breathed his last and said it is finished because he completed the law and the prophets and then he was put in a tomb and he came out that I could be forgiven that I could be saved, not by anything that I bring before God, but simply because I believe God loves me that much. Amen. And the Bible says, if you're in this place, you know I've yet to accept that. I've been doing church. I've been playing church. I've been playing Christian. I can dress the part. I've done all the things I should be doing, but I know I do not have that part of my relationship right with God. I've yet to personally, it can't be something mom and dad makes you do, or your aunt and uncle I haven't personally made a decision to follow Jesus and accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The Bible says you're lost, but right now, God has brought you to this place to meet him in his love. And I'm going to stand down here, and if you know that's something I need to get right, then God is asking you to come down the aisle and meet with him. And all you got to do is come down and say, you know what, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven for my sins. I want Jesus. We're going to have a time invitation. I'm going to ask Jackson to come on up and lead us. And if you know that's where you are, if you know that's what you need to get figured out this morning, we had an incredible testimony a couple weeks ago. I had a boy come down at the end of service and say, you know what, there's a lot of things going wrong in my life, but I knew I had to get this one thing right. If that's where you are, then this is where we come to the invitation. God is asking you, will you come and meet with him as he's ready to meet with you? Maybe you're here this morning and you've just not been living with the mindset of seeing people for who they are that they need Jesus and you just want to commit that. There's fear. I know it. Pray for boldness because the fear to share your faith is not from God. The fear to share your faith is not from God. However you need to respond, let's stand. I want to lead us in a word of prayer and we'll sing the song. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that it's not about us. It's not about the words we say. It's not about how we say it. It's not even about how we present it in such a manner that people come to accept it, Lord. It's just that we do it. So, Lord, let our message be clear. Let it be of love. and Let it be good news.
I thank you for this new school year that's already happened. I thank you for the hundreds of gatherings that are going to take place that you are going to allow Harvest Hill to engage with your gospel. To meet people that you love, that are made in your image, that you sent your son to save. And you are, you are calling us and commissioning us to be your ambassadors, your witnesses, to go into that world, into this community, and to meet those people, to begin a relationship with them, spend time with them, to eat and break bread with them, to just, just get to know them so that they can meet Jesus through us. Lord, let us take this commissioning to heart. Let this, this year in Stratford You'd be one of the greatest awakenings Stratford has ever seen for your kingdom. Not for the glory of Harvest Hill, not for the glory of a pastor, not for the glory of a family or any, anybody, but for the glory of your kingdom, Lord. Come. Lord, come. Empower our youth pastor. Empower our worship leader. Empower me, empower our teachers who are going to teach the kids they are going to come through these, these doors here in about a month. Lord, empower us by your spirit to be willing and obedient. These kids and these families and this community can know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, it is so obvious when we look in your word that when your people get so focused on engaging the community in which you have planted them, you bless them, that you explode on the scene. Lord, let us have a heart for that here at Harvest Hill. Father, I pray right now for those individuals who are here who know that they aren't saved, who know it, and are right now in this moment so scared just to come down and let it be known that they want you in their life. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke the work of Satan trying to do on that individual's heart. That you would give them courage and strength and just let them step out in peace. Father, for the individual here who has not been following you, just needs to repent of that. Lord, let them respond appropriately. Father, if there's individuals here that have accepted you but have yet to follow you in baptism, let this be the day that they declare that they want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Not to prove their salvation or even show that they're saved, Lord, but simply to say that they are responding to the love you've given them by being obedient. Lord, take us. Use us. This is your church. This is yours. Have your way with us. Forgive us if we have failed you in any time in this place as we have opened your word. As we come to this time of invitation, let us respond the way you've laid it upon our hearts. Praise on your son's name.